Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? Who are you waiting to come over the uh, the horizon to save you? Um, that's the question there. That's the psalmist prayer. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Is the you know is is the army coming to save me? Um, my help comes from the Lord, says the psalmist, the Maker of heaven and earth. And let me just say that in these days, putting your trust in anything else in in the chariots of the days of the psalmist or in the war efforts of the days of today or in your financial storehouses or anything else whatever mountains it is that you're looking toward and hoping in um, let us be people who recognize that our help comes from the lord the maker of heaven and earth and that we put our trust nowhere else and in no one else and in nothing else and you say, wow, Carmen sounds a little <clears throat> serious on this Monday morning. Yeah, things are pretty serious uh, around the world. Tensions are rising um, around the world and right here at home and in, in some of our own relationships. So just to give you a few of the, uh, the headlines of the morning as we bring the mind of Christ to bear, we want to be prepared to walk out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. And so we don't want to be people who put our heads in the sand. We do want to be people who are prepared for the con- conversations of the day with sober judgment and full of faith. So the United States has um, lots of military bases, not only all around the world, but specifically in the Middle East. And um, U.S. soldiers in Iraq and Syria have been attacked. Let me just say that again, U.S. soldiers in Iraq and Syria on U.S. bases have been attacked 16 times in the past week. That has prompted the deployment of an additional uh, additional U.S. troops to the region, U.S. fighter jets um, taking off from uh, not only bases, but aircraft carriers in the region. They, U.S. fighter jets have been sent to destroy some facilities in Syria believed to be linked to the attacks, no casualties, which is important, right? I mean, our military is doing a very admirable job seeking to attack places and not people. But it's important to recognize, we talked about this last week, like people are like, oh, you know, the U.S., you know, we need to not not get involved in what's happening in the Middle East. We are involved. Like, I, like let's, be, <laughs> let's be people who are honest and very sober, um, about what's happening. Um, President Biden has reiterated the United States as an ironclad defense commitment, um, not only to Israel, but to the Philippines. And you say to yourself, wait a second, that's a whole different part of the world. Yeah, um, there, are, there are challenges worldwide right now. 
obviously the ongoing war in Ukraine, uh, the broadening war in, in Israel, China openly threatening Taiwan, um, and, um, and there's a, apparently also a contest between China and the Philippines um, in the South China Sea, where China says the United States has, quote, no right to get involved. Um, not to mention the fact that uh, at last count, 11 million people have crossed the U.S. southern border since January of 2021, and we don't know who, who they are. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of tension. And so I want us to be mindful of where our help comes from, and our help comes from the Lord. I also want us to be very mindful that fear needs to be rightly placed and not wrongly placed. This is not the time to fear the other. This is, this is not the time to um, fear other people. This is, this is the time to fear the Lord, and positively so. And so what do you fear, and whom do you fear, and how do we get our fear in the right place and directed in the right way? Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, look, I've told you these things. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So how is it in the midst of all that is going on in the world, we, we have the peace of Christ that passes all understanding, where Christ actually rules in our hearts and minds and the peace of Christ rules within us. How are we um, disciples of, commissionaries with, ambassadors of the Prince of Peace, Shalom, in the midst of a world at war? Not world war, but a world at war. Take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So are you overcome today with the issues of the world, or are you putting your faith in the one who has overcome the world. Elizabeth Newman is going to join us in just a moment. She's a security analyst. Um, her, her background is with the Department of Homeland Security. She also works in the area of tech. Um, and I want to talk with her about this rising tide of anti-Semitic um, behavior, rioting, protests that turn into riots, the targeting of Jewish students on college campuses here in the United States, the targeting of Jewish passengers um, on, a, on an airline that, uh, on a flight from Israel that landed in Russia, and a mob, an anti-Semitic mob, um, rushed the airport and the plane, and passengers were being hidden. Jewish passengers were being hidden until the airport complex police could effectively control the, the riot situation. This is happening in real time right now. This is, not, um, this is not historical data from World War II. This is happening in 2023. Um, and it's happening on college campuses across the country, Cornell being um, the center of the latest, but at Tulane, at Columbia, at Berkeley, on and on and on and on and on. So we're going to talk with Elizabeth Newman about this rising tide um, of anti-Semitic um, I don't even know what else to call it. And so I'm going to ask her, what should we be calling it and how can we address it? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
Elizabeth Newman is joining us now. She's a security analyst. She works with the Moonshot Group. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Carmen. Okay, so um, I'm I'm watching you know I'm watching videos of uh, anti-Semitic demonstrations um, and protests, and then uh, many of them turn into riots. We uh, in New York City is maybe the latest one here in the United States, um, but at Cornell University. Um, police investigating a series of anti-Semitic threats made against the school's Jewish community. Jewish students actually on that campus were sheltering in place, um, told not to, you know, not 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 to be out in public. Um, the same at Tulane University. Um, and then, you know, in in Russia, anti-Semitic crowds not only break into an airport but surround an airplane and you know and demand to see people's passports and they're targeting specifically not only people from Israel but people who are Jewish. What what is going on and what what century are we living in? Yeah, right. Um I mean the, it it's completely reasonable for us to just feel like this is an out of body experience and yet I want everybody to understand no this is happening today. And the rise of anti-Semitic hate has been ongoing for years. This is not just because of a war between Israel and Hamas. We have been watching anti-Semitic hate crimes. We've been watching anti-Semitic vandalism. We've been watching um, terrorism inspired by anti-Semitism be in, like ever uh, since since data was kept in the 1970s. So that's when they started keeping tracking data. For the last five years, it's been increasing to all time highs. So it's not shocking that you have an event like uh, what happened on October 7th and Israel's um, you know righteous response to that uh, to see that that would be a trigger for more anti-Semitic hate because it was already there um, at Moonshot, my uh, my day job. Um, we have tracked a 14,000% increase in anti-Semitic slurs and one particular uh, dark um, domestic violent extremist site. Um, we normally, after an event, will see hundreds of percentage increase, sometimes a thousand percent increase. I've never seen something 14,000 percent increase. It's there is something about anti-Semitism. And when you're working with people in the counterterrorism field or countering violent extremism field, um, they they have an appreciation of the history. They have an appreciation of the fact that underlying a lot of different ideologies is anti-Semitism. Um, but they they actually lack a theology to understand why. And so you often hear them say, like, why the Jews? Why why are the Jews the ones that get targeted? And I and I think at least um for those of us that are believers, uh, we can we can point to like there is something demonic here. Like Satan has a uh since the beginning of since really what Genesis three has had a hatred for the Jews and has sought to destroy them. And you can see that pattern throughout um, the Old Testament. You can see it in the New Testament. Um, there is a hatred for the Jews that is uh, of satanic origins. So I think we want to be clear that um, there are 
practical things that we should be doing to stand up um, for for the Jewish people here in the United States. Um, but we also need to be praying because this is actually, in my opinion, it's demonic. Um, and it is the, the epitome of, of spiritual warfare at play. All right. So let's put at the top of the list, number one, a call to prayer um, and an engagement in this as spiritual warfare. But when you say there are practical things that we should be doing to stand up for um, for Jews here in the United States, could you tell us what some of those practical things are? Because people feel paralyzed and we don't want to be yeah. paralyzed. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, if you happen to be um, in relationship with people um, that are Jewish, either religiously practicing or just um, Jewish ethnicity, uh, you know, letting them know that you love them and that you're praying for them. I think that goes a long way. It's it's very, um, it's my understanding that it is uh, really isolating to feel like the world's out against you and they need to hear that no like most of us are rational reasonable people who think that this is horrific Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. they should not have to be holed up in their universities or in a library um or land at an airport and be fearful of for their life like that's not um what we want for them so um you know if you have a relationship reaching out seeing how you can support them practically and letting them know that you love them and that you're praying for them. That, that goes a long way. Um, other things you can do. And I wish, I wish this was um, maybe I'll work on this this week, but um, I wish it was simpler, but um, please educate yourself about um, anti-Semitic uh, slurs and anti-Semitic um, jokes that are, that get trafficked around the internet um, if you go to ADL.org, uh, they, that is the Anti-Defamation League, they have um, a number of guides that can educate you on the background behind different anti-Semitic uh, theories that show up in all sorts of ways. So you um, might not be aware, but uh, QAnon, um, if you p- p- piece apart some of the conspiracy theories that support QAnon, um, there are anti-Semitic uh, ideologies or, or conspiracy theories that go back like hundreds of years, um, even a thousand years. Uh, so there, it is very common for these basic um, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories to show up in more modernized conspiracy theories. Um, most anti-government sentiment um, of the violent extremist kind, I'm not saying like I'm frustrated with uh, a decision the president has made, or um, I'm frustrated with my taxes being raised. It's not not that, but when you get to um, the government is evil, the deep state, um, that kind of rhetoric actually has ties back to the, an idea that um, Jews, um, uh, that there's some elite group of Jews that are controlling the world, it used to be called uh, the Zionist Occupied Government or Zog. Um, now they've kind of modernized the language and they don't draw a direct connection to Jews, but um, they'll they'll talk about the globalist elite. Um, you've probably heard that on a number of um, right-wing uh, talk shows. Uh, it's a very common rhetoric, but underneath that, it's actually anti-Semitic. Now, I'm not saying the people using that language know that it's anti-Semitic, and that's part of the problem, is that mm-hmm. we are using this anti-Semitic language and we don't even know that the roots of it are anti-Semitic. So if you can take a little bit of time, educate yourself on some of these 
um, core conspiracy theories that ADL lays out for you that will help you be able to to stop the flow of anti-Semitism. Um, they did some recent polls and the numbers are quite astounding that um, it was something right, like it was an overwhelming majority, 70-ish percent of Americans believed conspiracy theories that were anti-Semitic in nature, not because they thought they were anti-Semitic. They just believed the conspiracy theories. So we we need to educate the the public that the origins behind these are actually quite um, evil and perverse. And and again, I'm not suggesting you you have to then um, give up your anger at your government for whatever um, problem that you perceive. Uh, just let, let's not do it through memes that actually under uh, the the background there is that they're anti-Semitic. Um, another good practical tip is just don't share information on social media or on your email um, if you don't know where the origin, where it comes from, and if it's true. Um, that is a form of gossip and slander. And um, even if it might strike you as funny, like that's actually what uh, violent mm-hmm. extremists are really good at doing. They create content that makes you laugh, make you think it's not a big deal. I'm sharing something that's funny. And and then you're p- perpetuating the cycle of um, sharing these uh, ideologies that have led to people um, committing uh, violent acts. Uh, we just celebrated, uh, not celebrated, we just observed the five-year anniversary of the um shooting at the tree of life synagogue um, Mm. in Pittsburgh. And that perpetrator was motivated by anti-Semitic ideologies. Um, He believed that the Jews were controlling the government and that it was the Jews fault that we had an immigration problem on our Southern border. Um, So the reason he targeted the Jews uh, was in part because he was frustrated with immigration policy um, but he ties it in his head, perverted uh, head, but in his head, it was because the Jews were in control of the government. So these things for, for somebody who might be prone to committing a violent uh, act, um, it might not seem logical to you, but if you're spreading this content, if you're creating the milieu of um, violent extremist conspiracy theories, um, somebody, somebody is going to be influenced and somebody is going to commit that violent act. So if we can uh, stop the spread of that, at least in the mainstream, I, I, I realize most of your listeners are hopefully not spending time on the dark web. Um, right. I, dark web is a separate problem, but if we can take it out of the mainstream, um, that would that would go a long way to um, trying to reduce some of the um, anti-Semitic um, uh, conversations and, and um tension that we're feeling right now. We're going to continue our conversation with Elizabeth Newman um, in just a moment. If you've got a specific question or something you'd like uh, us to talk about, go ahead and text me your question at 877-933-2484. We don't want to be a people who are living in fear. Um, We want to be prepared. We want to be mindful. Um, We want to be appropriate in the things that we are sharing online, and we want to be encouraging um, to people who are under threat. So those might be some some thoughts as we move forward in this conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Elizabeth Newman. She's a security analyst, formerly with the Department of Homeland Security. She works with the Moonshot Group. All right, Elizabeth, we've got a question from a listener. What is the dark web? (laughs) Um, Great question. It's my shorthand for, um, uh, and and I actually don't mean the technical term of the dark web. I mean the dark places on the Internet uh, where violent extremists hang hang out. So 4chan, 8coon, uh, there are certain channels on Telegram. There are certain um, uh, even mainstream platforms like Facebook. There can be uh, closed private groups where um, uh, people are able to share information without uh, certain the requirements of the platform coming to to take down content. So um, any, when I say dark spaces, I mean any place where um, violent extremist content can be shared. Um, and not just like in a way that's hidden, but like applauded. They they actually mm-hmm. enjoy and rejoice in sharing this content. Yeah. Um, places where information that is violent, extremist, or dark, those are places that we would consider dark on the web. There is a technical definition of the dark web. Um, and if you're not a techie, you've probably never been there and, and we don't want you to go there. So there you go. Cause there is this whole shadow side to the internet and, um, and that is maybe the more technical understanding of the dark web. Um, when, um, uh, looking for a connection here and understanding r- quote, right wing extremist, and then what we're seeing in these pro-Palestinian, um, riots, which are clearly not right-wing extremist people. They are wildly progressive in most cases. Um, mm-hmm. And and so I'm just saying that there's like this strange, strange admixture or confluence of, I mean, is, is this the case where when you get far enough around the circle, the people who hate the Jews are a really very disparate um, group? And it includes people who are, um, who are, dissimilar in every other way except in this one way yeah the horseshoe theory yeah i i think there we are seeing um some good evidence of horseshoe theory in the last uh, few weeks um but yes i mean you do have uh on the far right um uh strong anti-semitic influences and on the far left um also anti-Semitic. Um, although I, I want to create some space here, there are people that have um, strong opinions about uh, Palestinian rights, um, about uh, Israel as a government, and some of the decisions that they've made historically. Um, and I'm not suggesting that you can't have uh, hold an opinion uh, about those things, and that somehow that makes you anti-Semitic. Um, However, the the current conflict has certainly um, 
made it harder to draw the line of like what's anti-Semitic versus what is um, just having a, a strong view mm-hmm. on um, their, you know, needing to find a place for the Palestinian people um, about the the people in the West Bank and Gaza and um, how they've been treated. Um, so I think uh, it's wise for believers to recognize that this is extremely complex and extremely difficult and um we you know multiple things can be true at once right you you can say what happened on october 7th was horrific and devastating and it makes sense that um the people of israel need to uh find a way to get rid of hamas because they do pose an existential threat it 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 is at least in my study of terrorism, when a terrorist says what their end goal is to destroy a people um, or a place, you should take them at their word. And that is what Hamas has said. They are not a good faith actor. Um, We should not be treating them as if they uh, somehow can come to a negotiating table and um, in good faith would reach peace. That is not their intent. Um, But the Palestinian people are different than Hamas. and, And that creates uh, a challenge in how we deal with civilians, um, how we um, how we can, uh, and and I guess what I'm saying is I'm not suggesting we we here sitting in the United States are going to have answers, but we can certainly have empathy for um, what the people of Israel are struggling with and going through, and also empathy for what the Palestinian civilian mm-hmm. population is going through, and be praying for both and be praying for peace. Um, and uh, so I, I want to say that because I think it's important to say, like, there is a space here to have wide variants of opinion. But right. yes, we do have um, extremists on both sides who are seeing the world through lenses of black and white, um, which is actually a precursor step to getting to violent extremism is when you can't hold nuance. Um, and that's kind of where we are. We have on the far left individuals who um, don't seem to understand uh, they actually are can be Holocaust deniers, um, and they view Israel as um, occupiers, not as legitimately um, being a part of the land there. And uh, they take it out through anti-Semitic uh, riots and um, protests. And, and they have a, in the United States a legitimate right to protest, but um, but it certainly creates this uh, environment of fear for for um, people that are Jewish, and and that's just. I, I wish I wish we could get back to a place where we could have dialogue on what right. is a very difficult issue instead of just protests. Elizabeth, um, thank you so very much. Um, for those of you who are asking, how do I even start the conversation with a person who seems totally inflamed? Um, here are two starting points. Where are you getting your information? And then what what does what you're chanting mean to you? Um, We are seeing um, chants like from the river to the sea or kill, kill the Jews. That one doesn't seem very obscure in its meaning. From the river to the sea, um, you know, maybe people are just caught up in chanting that. That means um, the utter destruction of Israel. That is a genocidal threat. That is an existential threat. It means they don't want Israel to exist. And so if you hear a college student or see a college student chanting from the river to the sea, Ask them if what what they mean. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Um, and then bring bring that home um, and and ask what that would look like uh, in a, applied to where they live. 
um, and the reality of, of who they are. And then be sure to ask them, where, where are you getting your information? Where are you getting your information? Gives you the opportunity, hopefully, to take the temperature down one notch and maybe um, help them understand what they are saying. Um, I want to spend a minute talking about um, uh, accompaniment at the very end of the hour. But Deb Folletta is waiting to join us now. And I don't want to miss this opportunity to talk with her about filling the hole inside of us. Uh, Everybody has got this hole inside of them. Different people um, using different things, trying different methodologies to fill that hole. You've probably heard by now actor Matthew Perry was found deceased in his uh, L.A. hot tub, um, known for his role as Chandler in the sitcom Friends, also well-known a year ago for having uh, not only published a memoir but given interviews where he talked about this life-and-death battle um, that he was engaged in throughout the course of his life related to addiction. Um, And one of the things he talked about was... um, trying to find a way to fill the hole inside of him. We're going to talk with Deb Folletta about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. You've got a hole inside of you. Uh, so do I. Uh, what are you filling the hole inside of you with? Deb Folletta is here. She is a psychologist. Um, you can find her at DebraFoletta.com and also at TrueLoveDates.com. Good morning, Deb. Good morning. So a lot of folks are um, aware, certainly of Matthew Perry, uh, in terms of his role as Chandler on Friends. Many people who have sort of followed the course of his life recognize that he is a, a person who struggled his entire adult life with addiction, um, a year ago, he released, I mean, literally this week, a year ago, he released a memoir um, in which he wanted to expose his own um, battle with addiction in order to hopefully help others. In that, um, mm-hmm. he he talks about this hole inside of him that he had, you know, tried to fill in, in many, many ways. And obviously, um, in one way or another, that battle has now been lost. Um, he... And so I, I wanted to lift up this conversation because I think that what's happening in the headlines and in a high-profile person's life often gives us an opportunity to have conversations with others in our own lives that we need to have. So yeah, maybe I'll just yeah. tee it up that way and and ask you, like, how how do you use something like this maybe in a relationship with somebody who needs a, a, a some kind of intervention um, yeah. that they've been resisting? Well, first of all, I think it's important for us to realize that none of us are immune. You know, none of us are immune to the struggle. None of us are immune to the pain. None of us are immune to the challenges. I think you and I and and many of us can say that we've, we've truly found our hope in Jesus. But what happens when you are a Christian and you battle with depression or anxiety, or addiction, I think it's important to remember this. One of my favorite quotes, especially around the area of addiction, says, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. And I think there's something so profound about that because the opposite of addiction is a healthy connection to God to self and to others. 
And when one of those areas has been severed, whether it's connection to God, whether it's connection to myself, I don't know how I feel. I don't have insight. I don't know why I'm going through all this. I can't unravel and unwrap my thoughts and my feelings and my behaviors, or whether it's connection to others that's been severed, we will struggle. And and so the good news is that there is hope because the opposite of all of that is healthy connection. And, and that's what you and I can continue to pursue in our journey of becoming healthy and um, in our journey of becoming okay. Um, when I'm going to read one other thing from this Matthew Perry interview um, from literally one year ago uh, that he had yeah. with Diane Sawyer. And he talked about this line in his memoir where he says, you know, for the very first time that I prayed, I said, God, you can do whatever you want. Um, just just make me famous. Now, yeah. in reflecting on that, he told her, you know, I was 18 when I prayed that. Um, it was the first time that I, uh, that I remember praying. I look back now, it was a dumb prayer, like a prayer um, of a really young person. Yeah. So, you know, that's the 53-year-old Matthew Perry, or 52 maybe at the time, um, reflecting on something that he acknowledges was the, quote, first time he prayed and, you know, and did as an 18-year-old. But I guess I'm wondering, like, you know, you, he got what he prayed for. He's wildly famous. Um, yeah. And yet, at 18, already an addict, right. um, he didn't pray for recovery. He didn't pray for liberation. He didn't pray for connections. He prayed to be famous. Um, I guess maybe the the desire of our hearts is laid bare before the Lord, um, even if we don't know what we're doing. I mean, he says, I got on my knees. I mean, I prayed like, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm not, I don't even know how to frame a question here, Deb. I guess you I'm. No, I understand what you're saying, okay. Carmen, because, you know, when you, when you think about it, we pray for the things that we believe are going to bring us purpose and mm. joy and healing. And I bet in that moment as an 18 year old struggling, like you said, already battling, he probably genuinely believed that was going to be the answer. Fame. When people like me, when people know me, I want to be known. I want to be seen. Mm. I want to be loved. And in a way, isn't that the cry of all of our hearts? You know, when you look at King David in the Psalms, like, search me, oh God, and know me. Know me. I want somebody to know me. I want to feel connected. And we we do look for that in so many places. And even those of us who are, quote unquote, good Christians, we look for that in so many people and so many things and so many places where when when the ultimate connection, the ultimate being known is right there in the presence of God. But it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to miss it. It's so easy to fill in the blank of what will really fill us up, what will really make us okay with all of the other things that the enemy brings our way. Um, but but what it comes down to is, is am, I, am I fully known by God? Do I feel fully known by him? Am I able to sit in his presence and realize that everything I need 
is actually here. I think sometimes we miss the one who blesses for the things that he blesses us with. Mm. It's interesting that you you talk about addiction and the opposite of addiction not being sobriety, but um, but connection or relationship. Um, of all the things that Matthew Perry talked about in his interviews last year about his memoir, the, the thing that he talked about the most was yeah. loneliness. Um, mm. And he, he and and he there's this one quote where you know he says. You know, well, the good news is there's a couple of people on the payroll that make sure I'm never alone. But obviously, he was alone, um, right. you know, it, a, a few nights ago. Um, and it was a, a paid person on his staff who found him. And I guess, oh, wow. you know, fame, fame, fame brings a lot. It brings a yeah. lot. Um, but it yeah. doesn't necessarily bring healthy relationship or substantial healing. We're going to continue right. our conversation with Deborah Folletta here in just a moment. Um, in her... Uh, in her podcast series right now, she's in the midst of something called um, Ask the Counselor. And so we want to talk with her about that. And as we uh, approach Halloween, we thought maybe we'll touch on the one that deals with the imposter syndrome. It's not really about Halloween, but, you know, we we can make connections here between just about anything. So, um, you know, are you are you who you know you are? Or are you presenting yourself a lot of times as something other than you are? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Talking with Deborah Folletta. She is a psychologist. You can connect with her at TrueLoveDates.com. That's where you will also find the Ask a Counselor podcast series. And so, Deb, first of all, you know, what what are people asking? What are the kinds of things that people are asking? And then let's talk specifically about the imposter syndrome. Yeah, this counseling series has been fun. I've gotten to bring on my team of counselors to join me on the podcast and take hotline questions from callers and talk through some of them, some things that you maybe have always wanted to ask a counselor, but never had a chance to. And lately, um, we've talked about things such as boundaries and toxic relationships. And, and specifically on one episode, we talked about the imposter syndrome, which I would say comes down to a feeling of insecurity, a feeling mm. of not feeling like you're confident enough, not feeling like you're able to be your authentic self because of doubts and fears and insecurity. And, and I do think it's fitting that we talk about this on Halloween because there are fears involved in the imposter syndrome, fears of mm. being my authentic self, fears of being real, uh, deep down fears of rejection, fears of abandonment. And all of those fears end up influencing how we relate and interact with people. So, you know, I have one one self that I present and project for sure. Like that's maybe maybe that's my public self. Um, there's a true self, an authentic self, a real self. Um, and is there another self? Like how many selves am I? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. And honestly, I would say one self. Mm. There is one version of you. It's just a matter of which fraction of the version you allow to shine through. And, you know, earlier we talked about that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Well, here's why this matters when we talk about the imposter syndrome, because 
for those of you struggling with insecurities, there's a good chance you are not being vulnerable. Vulnerability means you show that side of you that may have struggles, may have questions, may have doubts, may have insecurities, but I choose to show people that side of me. I choose to let my wall down and give you a glimpse of what's actually happening inside of me. And what's amazing is that vulnerability is actually the only thing that can lead to intimacy, that can lead to real connection. Now, obviously, we're not called to be vulnerable with everybody around us all the time, right? Like, I'm not expecting you, Carmen, to sit here and have a full-blown counseling session with me, though you probably would. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Vulnerability is not something that we're expected to have with everybody. But if you don't have a small group of people in your life that know you deeply and completely you're going to be more likely to struggle with the imposter syndrome because those insecurities are just wreaking havoc inside of you rather than coming forth and and being talked through and worked through and experienced in the context of healthy community. What happens, um, talking about, you know, healthy community or even just one healthy relationship, maybe we start there because, you know, community just, that sounds like work. So let's just talk about one healthy relationship. What what happens in in the relationship that maybe is most important to me? Let's just say husband and wife, but it could also yeah. be it could be a different one. But let's just use that. What happens in that relationship when one person is not showing up, it, you know, as their true self? They're not they're not allowing themselves to be vulnerable. They're not they're hiding something. Their their own yeah. struggle with doubt or insecurity or fear. What happens then to the relationship? Well, it impedes intimacy because, you know, you've, you've heard this before, but the idea of intimacy is into me, see, you can see inside of me, you, you know me, and I have to share in order for you to know certain things. I, I have to reveal certain things in order to make them visible. And when I don't do that, I'm impeding intimacy. I'm mm. I'm blocking it. It's an obstacle that's getting in the way of me being able to connect with you fully and deeply. So even in our marriage, what does it look like to be fully known? What does it look like to bring things up to the surface of our life that we might be hiding, that we might be afraid to share, that we might be worried about talking through? All those insecurities actually end up blocking our relationship rather than allowing us to connect in a deep and meaningful way. And some of us, honestly, from childhood have learned to function that way because it was safe to remain hidden at one point. It was safe to keep it all in. And sometimes the very things that served us in our past, whether it be withdrawing, hiding, numbing, are the very things that sabotage us in our presence. So we have to be really aware when we come to relationships with some of those insecurities and fears and and avoidance, where is that coming from and and why? Okay, can you do that list again? Um, The things that may have served us in the past, what's on that list that might be sabotaging us in the present? Well, maybe we've learned to hide things out of Mm. fear to, to be safe. Maybe we've learned to numb 
things to mm. turn down the volume on some of those emotions so I don't have to feel them. Maybe we've learned to avoid difficult conversations so that we don't have to engage in any sort of conflict and we just want peace. You know, whether it's avoidance, whether it's numbing, whether it's hiding and fear, um, all of those things are, are, are like walls that we build around us and keep people out uh, without even realizing it. Hmm. Okay, I'm taking I'm taking copious notes. Because, you know, it's always a counseling session. <laughs> I'm always the first I'm always the first client of our conversations. Here. I love it. That's what I love um, about you. We uh we love you. We so appreciate you. I want people to tune in to the Ask the Counselor series. You can find it right now at truelovedates.com. You'll not only um get to hear more from Deborah, but from lots and lots of her colleagues. That's one of the things I really appreciate about this series is She's having these conversations. She's answering listener questions um, alongside other counselors, colleagues that um, that she works with in her wider um, in her wider ministry. And so you can check that out. You can connect directly with a counselor at DebraFaletta.com. The the uh, the podcast we've been talking about today, um, the one answering the imposter question imposter syndrome question is a part of the Ask the Counselor series. And again, you can find that at truelovedates.com. So as we turn from this conversation to the day which now lies ahead, uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to um, be honest with God. Spend some time with Him. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Maybe that might include standing and in the mirror for just a moment and reminding yourself who you really are as God's image bearer, beloved. I mean, like, literally, God has set his affection on you before the foundations of the earth. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then recognize that you are turning from that time with him and that acknowledgement of who you are as his beloved, that you're turning toward a world that knows him not. And you get to go out there and be shiny, be light, be a person of hope, a person of peace, that you get to be um, an ambassador of the king and the kingdom, a minister of reconciliation, an agent of grace. This is who you are. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are one with Christ in union with him. You are equipped and empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit. You are a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is who you are. And you are not alone. Not only is Christ present with you right now, and always by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you are one with a body of believers, including me. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And this world that is so desperate and damaged and despairing and dark, this is the world that Jesus came to save. And so as you walk today, walk by faith and not by sight. Be confident um, in the goodness of God and the beauty of of who he is and walk your faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. Be blessed, my friend, to be a blessing. Have a great day.
and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.